Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. Some of the things that he was explaining was just so simple, but it was truth that just hit right home. He's changed my life. He's changed my walk. I have a hunger for God now that I've never had before. And this is just the beginning. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Wednesday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. This week, I'm doing something uh, kind of unique, special. I'm talking about the uh, 2020 elections here in the United States. Again, I've said this earlier in the week, but this program goes all over the world. But you know, as goes the United States, in many ways, it, it affects the entire world. These truths are not limited to the U.S. They're, they're true of the entire world. We are having the spirit of Antichrist just expose and come against us on all continents, in all countries. And the things I've been saying here apply all over the world. I've entitled this, Where Do We Go From Here? Lessons from the 2020 Elections. And the two points that I've been making primarily, the two big takeaways I take, and this isn't about personalities. At the time I'm making these programs, it's only two days after the election, and it hasn't even been decided yet who won the presidency of the United States. So this isn't about individuals. This is about, we had one of the clearest choices between, not again, personalities. You may not like personalities, but if you look at policy, uh, at things that were done, we had the uh, some of the clearest uh, choices between godly actions and ungodly actions. Godly platform, ungodly platform that we have ever had in my lifetime. And sad to say, the majority of the American public voted completely against the Word of God. And man, that's alarming. So one of the lessons to learn is that America is in a moral crisis, that we have... Uh, cut loose from the moral pendings that, uh, you know, the moral restraints that have dominated and, and served this nation well for hundreds of years. We have just totally cut loose from that. We are adrift morally. And the second real lesson to learn is that the body of Christ is the one that's responsible for this, particularly the ministers. I'm going to be dealing with that later, but what I've been talking about right now is to just amplify on how bad the situation is with the hope that this will wake us up. This battle's not over, but I can guarantee you we are facing some serious things, and there's a lot of Christians who are silent and who are thinking that, that you know it'll just somehow or another blow over. It's not, and I think that this last election, it was a referendum on the morality of America, and we came up warning. I've already mentioned that this is talking about just evangelicals, not talking about the unbelievers, atheists, people who are anti-God or whatever, among people who call themselves Christians and not just Christians. There's something like over 60% of Americans would identify themselves as Christians, but Barna went through a number of different things and asked. And uh, he so he has a limited number, I think it's closer to 38% that actually meet some biblical criteria for being Christians. But even among those who claim to be Christians, specifically the evangelical church, 52% 
contend that there is no more absolute moral truth. That is a rejection of the Word of God. They believe that everything is relative and that it just depends on the culture and the times and that morality changes. That's reflected in the way that there's many Christians that, you know, don't even get married. They just shack up with each other and they think that that's okay today. I'm going to get to that later in another deal. We talked about 75% of evangelicals, not just unbelievers, but evangelicals believe that people are basically good. And I spent yesterday's program showing you scriptures that that is completely opposite. And what this does, it takes away their need for a savior. They think that they can save themselves by being good. And if they'll just be good, and if their good outweighs their bad, they don't need a savior. That is a slap in the face of Jesus. People need to recognize that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we need a Savior. There's also among evangelicals, it, it's basically a humanistic uh, belief, and it says that um, 43% of evangelicals, these are people who call themselves Christians, say that Jesus Christ sinned while he was here on the earth. I tell you, that is, boy, that gets me angry. Jesus was sinless. There are so many scriptures that talk about that he was without sin. Again, I'm not going to teach on each one of these things, but for anybody who has any knowledge of the word, you should know that Jesus was pure and holy. If Jesus was a sinner, then there's no way that his life, a defiled life, could have atoned for my sin. But if he was holy, if he was God in the flesh, as the scripture says, his life as God was worth more than the lives of the entire human race. The creator was worth more than all of the creation put together. Jesus was holy and pure and separate from sinners, and he never sinned. And that has to be a foundational thing. This is the reason that the virgin birth was so important because, you know, uh, David said over in Psalms chapter 51 and verse 5 that in sin did my mother conceive me. Not talking about that he was born through some uh, extramarital relationship, but just saying that we were all born into sin. We were all born separated from God. If Jesus had not been born of a virgin who had not had physical relationship with the man, then he would have inherited that sin nature. But because he was born of a virgin and the one who planted the seed in her was God Almighty, the Bible says in 1 uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. It calls the Word of God a seed. And in the Greek, the word used there is spora, which is talking about, you know, like how a flower pollinates by spores. And spora is a derivative of the Greek word sperma, where we get the word sperm from. Man did not provide the sperm that conceived in Mary's womb. God's word was the sperm, the seed, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The virgin birth, understanding that Jesus was holy and pure and separate from sinners, not contaminated by sin, it is essential to understanding how his life could atone for the sins of the whole world. Again, if he was only a man who sinned while he was here on this earth, 
then his life wouldn't have been worth more than any person, any other person's life because all of sin comes short of the glory of God. I go back to some of those verses I've already used. Of James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of all. Just to say that Jesus was a good person and better than other people is mockery and blasphemy against God. Jesus was God in the flesh. He lived holy and separate. And because of it, if you have, again, this concept of scales here, his life was worth more than the entire human race and everything because he was holy and pure holiness and pure good. And so when Jesus sacrificed himself, it paid for the sins of the whole world and made salvation available to anyone who would believe and receive. So that's important. It also says that over uh, 58% of people have believed that the Holy Spirit is just symbolic. And this also goes along with, I don't have that uh, highlighted here, but the majority of Christians believe that Satan is not a real force, but just a symbolic thing. It, it's a personification of evil that just exists, you know, somewhere in this ethereal realm. No, Satan is a real person that was cast out of heaven that rebelled against God. Demons are real. Jesus cast demons out of people. And man, there's a lot of Christians that believe all of the demons are over in some third world country. Uh, undeveloped is only among the primitive and superstitious people. Man, there's a lot of demons right here in the United States or wherever it is that you're watching this. Demons are alive and well, and Jesus had to deal with things. About 50% of the healings that he uh, ministered to people, he cast demons out of them. He cast demons out of a woman that was all bent over, and he called it a spirit of infirmity. Today, we call it scoliosis, curvature of the spine. He cast a demon out of a person to effect that cure. And on and on you could go. Blindness was demonic. Deafness was demonic. Uh, not able to speak was demonic. Now, I am not saying that every person who's blind has some demonic problem because, you know, you could have an eye that was punched out and it's not demonic. It was something just physical, natural happened. It's, it didn't say that every sickness like that was demonic, but there are demonic powers that work and much sickness is caused directly by demons. To think that the Holy Spirit and that demons are somehow or another just symbolic that there isn't a real spiritual realm and that spiritual warfare isn't going on, you are rejecting what the Word of God teaches. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. It also says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, that we don't war after the flesh. Even though we're in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you really study that out, that's saying that we are fighting Satan's lies and deceptions. Going back to Ephesians chapter 6, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there means the cunningness, the craftiness, the lies, the deception of the devil. 
we are fighting a spiritual battle. And it's amazing how many Christians don't know this. And so, you know, uh, again, going back to this election cycle, there are so many people that just looked at this as just physical, natural things that we're dealing with. I tell you, it's demonic, the things that are happening not only in the U.S., but all around the world. You know, I've got very good friends over in Nice, France, and just this last week, uh, I got a news report that an Islamic terrorist had gone into one of the churches in Nice, France, and had beheaded one woman, killed two others, and and wounded a number of other people. And since it was in a church in Nice, France, where my friend pastors, man, I immediately started calling to see if it was her. And anyway, she's okay, and her church are okay. But uh, that is not normal. This isn't just a person that's basically good that just somehow or another had a bad day and so they went in and killed three people and wounded others. No, this is demonic. That's demonic to come in and in the name of Allah decapitate somebody and think that that is going to grant you some type of entrance into heaven. That is demonic. We are in a spiritual battle and if you don't understand that, it doesn't mean that the battle doesn't exist. It just means you are destined to lose it because you are absolutely ignorant of the truth. It says that 40%, and this is evangelical Christians, not talking about the atheists, the unbelievers, 40% of evangelical Christians believe that sexual relations between unmarried couples is okay and uh, that, that they can get by with that. 40% also believe that lying is not viewed as sinful behavior anymore. Man, I could go to a lot of scriptures. All liars will have their part in a lake of fire that burns forever and ever. One of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not bear false witness. And false witness is even stricter than just lying. Did you know you can bear false witness and not lie? You could only give half of a truth. You could only give a portion of the statistics and you could leave a false impression, a false witness with somebody and yet not have told an untruth as such. Boy, this is done constantly. This is what people just do constantly to manipulate things. Man, I could give you some specific examples, but hopefully you understand that lying is wrong and just having sex between unmarried people is wrong. And yet there are 40% of the evangelical Christians who now accept that as normal practice. I will say this, that I'll extend mercy and forgiveness towards a person if they've just had sexual impurity and and relationships outside of marriage. I'm not going to tell you that God hates you. God loves you. There is forgiveness available, but it's still sin. It's wrong. And I've had even Christians challenge me on this and say, you're talking about just getting a piece of paper. That's all it is. It's just a piece of paper and people acknowledge that you are making a commitment to each other. And all it is is a piece of paper. We are committed to each other without a piece of paper. And they think that that's just totally okay. You know, let me just real quickly, I'm not going to spend the whole time teaching on this, but let me just turn over here to John chapter 4 and show you that Jesus was dealing with the woman at the well And he had words of knowledge about her that nobody else could know. One of them was 
that he told this woman, he says, go call your husband and come hither. This is John 4, 16. And look at what the woman said. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. In other words, he, you know that she was shacking up with this man. She said she was with the man, but he wasn't her husband. They were having sexual relations, and Jesus said, you've had five husbands, but you, aren't, you don't have a husband now. You have said the truth. He says that is not marriage. He recognized the civil union. And without that civil union, he said, this isn't marriage. So anybody who claims to be a Christian and can sit there and just embrace and do these things, it's wrong. Again, I'm not against any individual person, but I was over in England just the month after that Meghan Markle married Prince. Please give me forgiveness and mercy if I get some of these names wrong. I'm not against any individual. I wish them well. But there were Christians that watched this this, wrote this perfect marriage, I mean, married in castles, driving all of these fancy cars, millions of people watching. And I heard Christians that were just oohing and on over this storybook wedding. Did you know that they just lived with each other for years before they got married? It wasn't very long ago. It was only, I think, in the 19... Um, I'm not sure, but it, anyway, it was in the 1900s that one of the kings of England... He fell in love with an American uh, woman who was a divorcee. And it was such a disgrace back then to marry a divorced person that he advocated the throne and literally turned it over. So I'm not against any person. I'm not criticizing Meghan Markle or Prince William or whoever. I'm not against any of them. I hope them good. But I'm saying Christians were looking at that and having their children look at that and putting this up as a, as a standard of see what wedding could be like. It was an adulterous affair. They had had relationship outside of marriage, and yet 40% of evangelicals say that is just perfectly fine. It's not perfectly fine. It's sin. Now, they can be forgiven. God loves them. I love them. I hope it works out for them, but I'm saying it's sin and it's not right. And yet most people, they're just cherry-picking things from the Word of God. They may like some of the teachings of Jesus, how He said, turn the other cheek and do things like this, but they don't like the one where He made a whip out of these cords and went into the uh, temple and overturned the money changers and, and actually beat people. And He didn't just do it once. At the beginning of his ministry, John chapter 2, he did it at the end of his ministry, Mark chapter 11. He did it twice. And they just, they just picked the parts about Jesus that they like. But when Jesus said, you know, that if you go out and commit adultery and stuff, that that's wrong. They don't like that. And that isn't what our modern day thing says. So people aren't speaking out on it. That's wrong. Again, I know that there's people that'll criticize me and hate me because of the things I've said. I'm not saying any of these things malicious. I'm not angry at anybody. I'm wishing that every one of them come into relationship with the Lord, but I am saying that there is right and wrong. There is moral, absolute truth, and I don't care what our society today says. It is wrong the way that many people are living, and the promotion of 
man, you can even go beyond just, you know, uh, couples living with each other outside of marriage. But today they are actually promoting uh, homosexual marriage. We've got a governor in Colorado who is an open homosexual. And when President Trump was elected the very first time in 2016, he came out with an ad that he put on television. I saw it. And he just came against Trump on so many things, called him terrible names, and then at the very end reached over to his husband, a man calling another man a husband is a perversion, and kissed him right on the mouth and said, take that, President Trump. That's sin. I don't hate the man. I'm not against him, but I'm saying that that's sin, and that is not biblical. And there's a lot of people that will not say things like that. It's, it's wrong. There is forgiveness and there is grace available, but you have to accept it. You have to confess our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we don't confess it, if we don't agree and admit that this is sin, if we are promoting ungodliness as being normal and natural, man, that goes against everything that God stands for. A majority of evangelical Christians now actually deem practices other than consistent obedience to God to reflect the heart of success in life. What this means is, that's not the wording that I would have used, but what that means is that they look at a person who is, say, for instance, marrying some royal person, or they've got money, or they've got awards, or they, they've won you know, some trophy, and they are being admired because of their ability to throw or kick a ball or something like that, and they look at them and they call that success. In other words, success isn't defined anymore about our relationship with God, but you can take people who are God-haters and look at them and use them as examples of success. That is a perversion. That is wrong. And we should not be holding up people like that as role models. Again, I'm not against any of these people. I hope every one of them gets born again. And I hope every one of them makes it to heaven. And I'd be glad to call them my brothers and sisters. But I'm saying it's wrong. It's sin. And there are absolute moral values that our last election showed that the majority of Americans don't give a flip about absolute moral values or biblical values anymore. Man, that ought to be a wake-up call to us. I'm out of time today. I've got a lot more I'm going to be sharing. We're going to be putting out uh, two different CD sets. Now, this one is a musical performance in God We Trust. I tell you what, it's patriotic. We need something to encourage us. This will be good. This one includes a panel discussion I did with six people. It also includes a panel discussion I did with David Barton and E.W. Jackson. And then it includes all of my teaching from this week. If you'll listen, our announcer will give you information about how you can get these products. And I encourage you to please call or write today. Andrew's new teaching titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Lessons from the 2020 Elections is available as a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Included in this four-part album, you'll also get the America on the Brink panel discussion and Andrew's race relations discussion. The America on the Brink panel discussion includes Andrew Womack, Tony Perkins, E.W. Jackson, General Jerry Boykin, Bill Federer, and Janet Boynes. 
The race relations panel discussion includes Andrew Womack, E.W. Jackson, and David Barton. Both panels share a biblical perspective on important political matters in our culture today, such as racism, riots, Black Lives Matter, homosexuality, abortion, and more. On today's program, Andrew also mentioned the theatrical DVD titled, In God We Trust. This patriotic DVD features reenactments of significant American historical events, along with inspiring musical numbers. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get these products. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or you can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. Our helpline is open 24 hours a day, Monday through Friday, and from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God already had determined a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. God has a purpose to train you in what you're called to do, and I tell you, Karis Bible College is the place for that. Man, if you want a life change, come to Karis. Come on to Karis! The next two to three years could be the most powerful time of your life. If you sit under the Word for four hours a day, for five days a week, for two or three years, I guarantee you, you are going to have God speak to you and start revealing purpose to you. Every one of you were created for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? I want to let you know that when you support Andrew Womack Ministries, that we also support a lot of other ministries. We actually started the Springs Rescue Mission that is now the largest distributor of food and clothing and furniture in all of Colorado Springs. We've got ministries to orphans. We've got ministry to children that have been caught in the sex trade. Uh, we support uh, pregnancy centers. They've actually lowered the abortion rate in Colorado to one of the lowest in the nation and there's just a lot of things we do. So when you support here, you are helping us reach people all over the world. I'm excited. God is going to do something special during these meetings. I felt that he was just speaking truth. The perspective is so different. It's so new and the, the understanding runs so deep. You have to get to where you believe in the power of words every moment of every day. When you start speaking to your problem and commanding it to leave, 
that's when you start seeing great things happen. I know that he gets before the Lord and there's always a freshness. There's a today in time word. Andrew's teaching and the love that he has for God's word and truth, it is the gospel truth. You know, social media has become a big thing in most people's lives, but sad to say, a lot of it is really negative. Well, we've got some positive social media. I would like to encourage you to check out our social media, all of these different platforms. We've got a lot of good news to share, so check it out, our social media for Andrew Womack Ministries.